there's no way to win a championship without a strong culture. There's just, it's, it's impossible. I think the more interesting question is what is a good culture and what does it look like? Uh, and I don't think it takes only one form, but it's one of those things like, you know when it's not right, so it's really magical when it is right. Welcome to Through the Tunnel, a Game Change Productions podcast that dives into sports and the life lessons that can be learned from them. The podcast is inspired by the book of the same name, written by Game Change co-founders Paul McDonald and yours truly, Jack Barrich. On the show today, Paul and I are joined by USC women's basketball coach Lindsay Gottlieb. Coach Gottlieb was the first NCAA head coach who coached in the NBA. We discussed with Coach Gottlieb the vital importance that building a great culture plays in developing a championship program. We hope you enjoy the show, and please check us out at GameChangeNation.com or on one of our social media pages. Paul, Coach, you guys have both been on championship teams and led championship teams, played key roles. Paul, you were an All-American quarterback, won a national championship here at SC as a football player, as a quarterback. Coach, you were the first, you took Cal to their first Final Four mm -hmm. uh, in school history, won a Pac-12 title. So you guys have both played key roles in being on teams. What was the thing, I'm going to start with Paul, what was the thing about your culture um, that made it so successful when you were here at SC? We had, as Coach explained, we had really good players. And I was fortunate to be on that team. We had really good players. But the interesting thing is we, I, maybe because we had so many good players that we, um, there were no stars. We had no stars on the team. And literally, we had a Heisman Trophy winner. We had two. We had a, my senior year, Marcus Allen was the fullback, so he won a Heisman later. But Charles White won a Heisman. We had a Lombardi Award winner and, and um, Brad Buddy. Uh, Anthony Munoz was a, like the second pick in the NFL draft. Ronnie Lott, he's pretty good. So these are the guys I got to play with, Coach. Uh, Coach Robinson, the first meeting we had at Heritage Hall, I'm a freshman, uh, so this is 76. So I walk in, I'm like just freaked out about being there, right, around all these great players. He writes on the board, first before training camp, what our goals were. First goal, beat UCLA. Second goal, beat Notre Dame. Third goal, win um, the uh, Pac-12. And the fourth goal was to win a national title. So, it was a Pac-8 back then, actually. But, so I was like, the bar's pretty high here. Yeah. So that was the expectation. So we knew all that. So we worked hard and built towards that. And we got kicked off the field of practice. He, Robinson kicked us off the field <laughs> when we were performing. He just didn't think. And we'd have a team meeting. We'd get together. But I think the number one thing that we had, and the reason we were so successful, because there's been great teams with great talent, but they haven't won it, right? Sure. You have to have that chemistry. You have to have that belief, that trust, that respect between all the players. We had enough leaders on the team that held each other accountable. The coach didn't need to be there. We were, you know, we were running a lot on defense. He got in your grill. He, you know, you were going to say, okay, Ronnie, I got it, got it. So we had enough of those guys on the team and that respected each other, trusted each other. And that's why we took it to the, to the heights that uh, we did. That's so, awesome. so when you were playing at SC, you know, it was coming, it was still the glory years out of McKay and Robinson. So you stepped into a championship culture at, from your very first day. Coach, when you went to Cal, they weren't winning championships. Right. So how did you do that? How did you take a, a team that hadn't been uh, uh -huh. a championship caliber team and, and turn them into one? Well, first of all, I'll just say I had a chance to talk to Ronnie Lott on the phone last week. Cool. Um, I, I was on the phone with Mike Bone. He was at an event with Ronnie Lott right before the Stanford game. So I can kind of um, appreciate you being 
a little nervous if he said, you got to get your stuff together when he's there. Because he got on the phone. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Ronnie Lott. And he said, yeah, how come we haven't won a women's basketball championship yet? Um, and I was like, let's go. Right? Like, There's only one Ronnie Lott. Can motivate you better than anyone. So I, I, feel, I feel that. Yeah, um, Yeah. It's, it's really interesting listening to what you're saying about those championship football teams here because there are some similarities. When I got to Cal as the head coach, um, there was a, a talented group there who had probably to that point you know, people would have said underperformed. It was a top recruiting class. They'd gone, they, they won the NIT their freshman year, the WNIT, which is, you know, good in some ways, but had then played in the WNIT again, which I think was, everyone was a little disappointed with. So um, to your question, I knew there was talent in the room. And I remember in like the, my first coaching meeting, I said, this, this isn't broken. This isn't a rebuild. This is a let's rise up kind of and figure it out. So I think a, a number of things happened. Um, it's funny, so my first year we went 25 and 10, and I like to tell people we were almost really good. We were good, yeah. Um, but we, we were not quite ready to knock off the top, top teams. Like we kind of beat everyone that we were supposed to beat, which is not an easy task. Right. And we were just short of the, the championship level. Um, and we lost in the second round of the NCAA, we beat Iowa in the opening round, and we lost to Notre Dame who had Skylar Diggins and Kayla McBride, multiple pros. Uh, they went to the Final Four, and we were returning everyone. And I remember in the locker room after the game saying, we're going to be better next year, not simply because we return everyone and other people don't, but because we're going to be better too. So in our first team meeting the following year, I didn't write goals out, you know, win the Pac-12, go to a Final Four. I, I simply had a sign that said, we are ready. And we talked about, we were ready to talk about all that. We're ready to talk about being great. We're ready to have a goal of, go of winning a championship. Um, and that's what we did. And I, I'm as proud of going 17-1 and one in that Pac-12 huh. as I am of going wow. to the, the Final Four because that was like sort of a war of attrition. We, it was, yeah. we played Stanford twice in one week early in the season, wow. and we split. So I think we were both 4-1 and one at the time. And for the rest of the time... We knew we'd win every single game and the way that that team figured out a way to do it. So what were the, what were the characteristics? Uh, similar to what you were saying, we had a lot of talent and Lasia Clarendon emerged as the, the star, but she wasn't, she didn't act like a star. Um, you know, they were able to make big shots, but um, it wasn't just about Lasia, right? And there were so many people that stepped up. We won when someone was injured. We won when we didn't play well in the first half. We won when we blew someone out. You know, we, we found different ways, and I was so, you know, in admiration of the chemistry of that group um, and the toughness of that group. There, uh, a couple other things I felt like went specifically to that culture. They really enjoyed one another. We had a ton of fun off the court. I think I allowed them to, and they embraced, I allowed them to show up as their authentic selves. So when we said, you know, dress up, one person might wear skinny pants, another person might wear baggy pants, someone might wear a dress, someone might wear a tie, but like allowing them to be individuals, I think made them more bought into the California on the front of their chest. Um, and then on a basketball team, you ask someone to set more screens and someone to take more shots and someone to clap really loud on the bench, right? And I think because they could show up as their, their whole selves, um, they were able to really buy into what we were doing. Um, I thought we had tremendous leadership, but it wasn't um, one perfect leader, right? We had three captains on that team, Talia Caldwell, Eliza Pierre, and Lasia Clarendon. I think they knew, um, you know, 
Lasia was going to lead by example and go hard on every single rep. But if there was a, you know, a sophomore guard who needed someone to talk to him, it was probably going to be Eliza because Eliza could relate, you know, to a, to a younger player. Or, you know, Talia was sort of like the, the team mom. I, I think the leadership was very layered and very nuanced. I thought the chemistry was terrific. I thought there was talent, but it was a talent that blended well together and everyone could show up for one another um, in their unique ways. Uh, the other thing that I didn't mention was belief. Yes. I mean, how important is that? Yep. Because we... A great example is in 78, we're playing Notre Dame and we have this miraculous comeback at the end of the game and we kick a field goal and we win uh -huh. with no time on the clock, right? Um, and I remember talking to some players on the sidelines afterwards, maybe that next week, um, that rarely played. I mean, they, yep. they've come on special teams or whatever. And they came, we had a conversation about that game and they said, we, we knew we were going to win. Yep. We all knew we were going to win. So it's the players, not just on the field, but the players on the sideline right. that really don't typically have that much of an impact, yeah. that there was this level of belief um, that is so powerful. Absolutely. When things get challenging, you yeah. know, in the game, because they do. Paul, you've even said that it reverberates around the whole stadium. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and you've seen it here at SD with the ups and downs of the football program where during the Pete Carroll years, Everybody in that stadium knew that SD was going to win the game. Absolutely. It didn't matter. We just yes. were going to win. There was yeah. nothing, there was no right. way. And, and that energy just created such, you know, well, it created that championship culture Agreed. that we're talking about. It's powerful. Yep. I, I, I felt like the, that team had that same type of belief. Um, Charmin Smith, who was my assistant at the time, who's now the head coach at Cal, tells a funny story how anytime we were down at halftime, and it wasn't a ton, but there were, there were times, uh, she said that I would always end up saying, you know, you guys, we're going to win this game. And this is how. So one time we were playing Oregon State at home, who now has turned into a great program, but they were not yet a top team in the conference. And uh, some young woman who wasn't even on the scouting report like came in and hit a bunch of threes in the first half. And we were down double digits at halftime. Wow. And Charmin tells the story how she's like, you know, in the back of the locker room as I'm talking to the team, making technical adjustments, saying, "Say it, Lindsay." Say it, Lindsay, like in her head. And finally, at the end, said, "Yes, we're going to win this game." She's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know. Um, and 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 sure enough, we had to do some different things. We you know we pressed, we did whatever, and we end up uh, winning the game. But I I thought that team had belief. I do think you know, in talking about these two teams that we're talking about, these are like the magical years, right? Like right. you, that's what you're always aiming for. Right. Most other teams, you're striving to get there. Yes. And maybe it's you don't have all the talent or you don't have all the maturity or you're not quite there with culture. What I've learned is that you have to invest in it regularly and in different ways. So for example, you know, coming off my first year here and, and we we're trying to get great. We really spent a lot of time in the spring, like I worked with our sports psychologist and we had weekly team culture sessions hmm. on things like what does leadership look like? What does courage look like? What does being a good teammate look like? Like investing in those ways. But also, those are great, and I think they're valuable, but like a once-a-week thing can only go so far. Every single day here in what we're doing, and that's from me to our strength coach, to our trainer, to every coach on the staff, we have to be building culture and championship habits in everything we do, every workout. And then you get to the point where you're like, oh, this team is magical. And after that Final Four team, I learned some lessons in that it also doesn't just sustain itself because you, you've been good. You know, certain people walk out the door, other people walk in the door. No one means badly, but all of a sudden there's a little bit of a difference and you're like, oh, wow, I, you know, this team maybe can have fun off the court and doesn't know how to 
flipped a switch going on the court, and I had to realize, oh wow, I got to flip it for him. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like as so you're you're it's, it's one of the fun yeah. things of coaching. You're constantly investing because the players are in moving it. in and out. Correct. Right. Correct. Dynamic changes. To- totally. And then I will say, just to again, I think comparisons to my NBA experience are interesting too, and what I learned there. JB Bickerstaff, who's the head coach of the Cavs, I thought. You know, it's a lot of things he does really well. He's great with X and O's, but he was masterful at building a culture before we were good, right? right. A culture of accountability, a culture of guys wanting to come to work every day because it is work in the NBA. It's a job, right. but creating an environment where they want to come, which is even harder when you're not winning, right. um, and and developing sort of a habits and ways of doing things that now there's an influx of talent, and now you get to draft an Evan Mobley or Darius Garland develops into an All Star. Well, that's great. Talent's not enough. He spent the time, I think, building those cultural, you know, pieces that now it can take off. Like one thing that was a great part of my experience there, when we went into the COVID shutdown, um, we had a young core of guys. And JB did a bunch of Zooms just with the young guys, and he would bring on winners. Brought on people who won NBA championships. Brought on, you know, Michael Strahan and won a, you know, Super Bowls just to talk to those young guys and the way that he established. So I learned more things about culture there as well, even though I wasn't there during the winning, but the ways that he established that. So you can learn from so many different great coaches or situations of what a good culture feels like. And it's not exactly the same all the time. I think that's key. Coaches I speak to want this like formula. What are your like four nuggets for good culture? I'm like, some of that stuff I think is BS. I can say forward. It's, you've got to fill your team. You've got to know what it looks and feels like. You have to invest in it every day. And you have to allow for it to kind of be an amoeba and take different forms with different personalities. But it's either good or it's not, and that, that you know when it, when it is. Do you think, not. though, at its core, the one maybe magic thing that cuts across all teams is just the idea that your players know that you care about them and that oh, you have that sure. relationship? And so how important are relationships in, the, in, in creating that culture? Oh, it's incredibly, because you can't hold anyone accountable, really, if they don't know that you believe in them or care about them or are about more than just their basketball self. And that is from an NBA player. I mean, I've had that conversation with Kevin Love. We sat and had breakfast and one time and talked about how, I don't care how rich or talented or Hall of Fame player you are, like, if you don't know that your coaches kind of deeply care about you, it's harder to hold you accountable. And that's the same for a college freshman coming in. So I just, I don't know that any team can have a good championship culture without true relationships. Players to players, coaches to players, coaches with coaches, the whole the whole deal. It just yeah, doesn't that's work. Tr- it goes back to the trust thing. You yeah. know, I had a great coach that coached me through most of my football career. Uh, certainly at SC for the four years was Paul Hackett. And uh-huh. I knew he believed in me. Yep. And, I, and, and he pushed me to the limits too. Yep. All and so and, and there was that trust. Like and I was just, I I drank drank out of the fire hose with sure. him because I wanted more and more and more, and he gave it to me. And um, and so there was that relationship yep. that I had with him and and John Robinson, the head coach. And, sure. Um, I mean, so that that is hugely coming out from the player's perspective, hugely important to have that. We have a chapter in the book. Um, Everyone wants love. Yep. That's all about encouragement, supporting, inspiring. Sure. And Paul, you still have a relationship with both coaches you mentioned. I do. Do you Very also think about that, that your legacy is these relationships you're going to have with your players many, many years from now after even they're not done playing, even out of the pros and all that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you can spot you know, a transactional coach right away 
when they stop having a relationship the second that a player can't do something for them anymore. Right. You know, you can't score a basket for me anymore. You can't, like, I just, to me, it, no matter how much recruiting I have or how much, if a, if a former player calls and says, hey, can you write me a letter of recommendation or can we call, you know, can we talk through something? Like, that's more gratifying. I have my dream job. I have the job I want. If I can help them get a job, if I can help them navigate a life thing, that's, you know, that those relationships, I think, far, you know, supersede, um, the, the the day-to-day just are we trying to win this game which again is is really important too but yes the relationship piece i think is there's that the most gratifying thing you always be their coach totally you know yeah. and there's that and that just continues yeah. on through life it's it's the coolest yep. coolest thing really. i have a high school basketball coach who's now in his 90s and i will see him around town once in a while and i don't call him mr lavaro mm-hmm. he's yeah. coach yeah mm-hmm. you know so you're right yeah really cool Hey guys, thanks for listening to Through the Tunnel. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review it. It'll really help others who love sports and the lessons they provide to find the show and together create Game Change Nation, a community that is dedicated to lifting each other up. Also, we'd love to hear your stories, so please visit GameChangeNation.com or any of our social media pages to give us your take on sports and life. And finally, check out our book, Through the Tunnel, which is now available on Amazon. Thanks again for listening and have an awesome day.